just want to pick up this evening on the thoughts that we were sharing this morning. That we are people possessed with a hope. Our future is sure, it is guaranteed, and it is glorious. Try that again. Our future is sure, our future is guaranteed, and our future is glorious. Amen. We have been saved unto something good. We're not just saved from something, but we're saved to something. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, 14 says, Paul said, God has called you by the preaching of our gospel. He doesn't say called you out of something, though they did turn from idols to serve the living God. But he says God called you to the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I have no idea what that means. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart what God has prepared for those that love Him. But I'll tell you this much, it's better than we can imagine. And we're on a journey. And the end of that journey is the appearing of Jesus and He's coming to be glorified in His saints. I'm not looking for an escape out of this world I'm looking to be vindicated before the world when Jesus comes. Amen. You know, in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 22, the way Paul ends off that Corinthian epistle, he says a word there that years ago, and I'm talking decades ago when I was much younger, uh, decades ago, it used to be a thing for one believer to say to another believer when they met each other or when they were parting company, they would part with this word. And it's found in 1 Corinthians 16.22 and it's the word Maranatha. How many know, know what it means? It's right in your Bible. Read it. It's in English. 1 Corinthians 16.22 Maranatha is this cry, the Lord's coming. They would meet each other and they would come together in a group for church and they would say, Maranatha, the Lord is coming. And when they were parting their company and going separate ways, their parting word was, Maranatha, the Lord is coming. And there was this expectation of the appearing and the coming of the Lord because the whole church that had been so marvelously saved, so marvelously converted, so marvelously filled with the Holy Spirit, so marvelously delivered from their idol worship and their past lives, so marvelously experienced the grace of God, so marvelously were delivered from demonic bondages, and so marvelously were healed in their bodies. They had tasted the power of the world to come. It was no small thing to meet the Lord in His power. And that just made them hungry for the fullness of everything that God had. And so there was this longing in their heart and they would say to each other, coming and going, they would say that word, Maranatha. The Lord is coming. They were eager for it. And they were hungry for it. You know, decades ago, back in the 1970s, 
it was somewhat common for believers to say that to each other. The Lord's coming. It's a good word. So let's practice. Maranatha. 1 Corinthians 16, 22. As I shared this morning, the New Testament believer was focused on the end of the story. It was crystal clear to them what the end of the story was. And they were very, very focused. I mean, if you're going to plan a holiday, I know some people who don't know where they're going. They just get in the car and they'll just happen to camp wherever they stop. And they call that a holiday. I call that don't know where you're going. (laughs) Usually, if you're on a holiday, you plan something. You've got a destination in mind. You're going somewhere. You're not just putting in time, you're not just meandering, you're not just going in circles. You want to arrive somewhere. Church, there's a definite somewhere that we're going. Amen. We're not just putting in time, we're not just existing, we're not just in a waiting room waiting to die. We're going somewhere. And we're full of eagerness, we're full of anticipation, and our destination is the appearing of Jesus Christ when He comes to be glorified in His saints. Hallelujah. It's a powerful, powerful story. And to understand your New Testament, when you read about resurrection or judgment or redemption or new creation, these kinds of words, the way to understand these things in your Bible is you you go to the final day, the day of Christ, the day He appears, And you see what happens at that final day. And then once you know what the end is, then you work backwards from the ultimate truth and you work backwards to the present. And you understand what God is doing to you right here and right now when you understand the goal to which he's taking you. I'll give you some examples. In the last day, that final day, that day of all days... The resurrection of the body is going to take place. And I can hardly wait. I don't know about you. But I'm tired of being tired, aren't you? Anybody tired of aches and pains and groanings and broken toes and whatever else you got going on in your life? And, you know, and and we groan and we get tired and we get weary. Let me tell you, on that final day, read about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you would, that when Christ comes, there is going to be, this old body is going to be changed. Right now, it's corruptible, as if you couldn't tell. (laughs) But I'll tell you on that day, you're not going to recognize me, because I'm coming incorruptible. Right now, it's mortal. And that day... It's immortal. Not even subject to decay. It's not subject to death. If this body, should I go before the Lord comes back, will be sown in weakness. But on that day, it is raised in power. Right now, I have a natural body that's suited to this natural world, this natural earth. 
But on that day, I'm going to receive a body that's called a spiritual body, which is suited not for this earth, but it's suited for glory. A glorified heavens, a glorified earth, suited for eternity. Won't be subject to time or space or limitations of any of that nature. Anybody else besides me would like to see that happen? Be delivered from the groanings of this present time. That's my future. And the reality is this body is going to be raised. Hallelujah. Even so, come Lord Jesus. I want you to be glad to exchange your aches and pains and weaknesses and sicknesses and trials in your body. I want you to be glad to get rid of them. You will. You will. But you see... I've already tasted that power. Because when we try to describe what happened to you when you got saved, when you got converted, when you were filled with the Holy Spirit, and these momentous changes took place in your life, how do you explain old habits just dropping off your life? How do you explain that? How do you explain a change of heart where you no longer desire the things that you used to do? As a matter of fact, you hate them anymore. And how do you explain that you got new desires entirely? What has caused the shift in your heart, this change? What has made old things pass away and and all things become new? When the writers of the New Testament could see what happened at the end, they looked at what was happening at that last day. And they would say, but... In my heart, I've already experienced such a change. And they would begin to talk like this. You can find it in Romans chapter 6 verse 5. You can find it in Colossians chapter 3 1. If you be risen with Christ. Before the bodily resurrection, I've already been raised with Christ. I've already tasted and experienced in my inner man, in my soul, in my heart, I've already experienced what my body will experience at the last day. And that's how they understood. They understood, they they, they tried to understand, how, how do I explain what happened to me? Oh, just like my body will be raised, my inner man, my soul, my spirit, my heart has already been raised. They understood it by looking at the end. Another thing that happens at the end is judgment. Everybody gets thrilled over that one, don't they? You will have to give an account of yourself to the Lord. What you've done with your life, with your time, your talents, your gifts. and You were a steward of these things and God wants to know, what have you done with it? What have you done with it? And we all have to give an account. 2 Corinthians 5.10 We all must appear before the judgment seat. We all will give an account of ourselves. And we realize on that day, before we pass out of time into eternity, a judgment will happen that forever puts the present out forever. And we look at that, and then I say, well, I'm trying to understand something that's happened to me. What has that happened to me? Oh, my sins. They're already been judged. And they're already put out of circulation. Just like 
at that day, this whole world gets judged and put out of circulation. I understand that because that's already happened inside me, in my heart. Already, my sins have been judged. They were judged at the cross, judged at Calvary. They've already been judged, and they're already put away. I've already tasted, in part, the reality that shall be in full at that day. I've already, I'm tasting the future. I'm tasting the future. And then there's another word there to describe the end. It's the word regeneration. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 28. It says that when the Lord comes, the entire universe gets regenerated. We thought it was just people who got born again. But the whole universe, the heavens and the earth, get totally transformed, totally changed. And Jesus uses the word regeneration. And they take on a whole new nature. It takes on a glorified state. Can you imagine a glorified earth and a glorified heaven? And It takes on a whole new state. But I'm trying to understand well, what's happened to me here. And I discover, just like the whole creation is going to get regenerated, I've already tasted that. I've already been regenerated. I've already, in my heart, I've already been born again. There's also a phrase, Luke 21, verse 28, about the end day, that Jesus said, when you see all of these things happening, look up for your redemption draws nigh. And Jesus used that word redemption to describe things that happen on that last and that final day. Your redemption draws nigh. He's purchased us and claiming it for himself. That's what he's going to do for the whole universe. Redemption of the world. The universe is drawing nigh. And I'm trying to figure out what it really happened to me when I got filled with the Holy Spirit and transformed. How do I explain this? And I said, well, you know what? I've, I've already experienced that. I already know in my heart what it's like to be redeemed. I've already tasted the powers of the world to come. Or like this fifth one taken out of the book of Revelation, chapter 21, where, where John in the book of Revelation says, I saw a new earth and there's even no water in it. And when he describes this new earth, he said, The former things have all passed away, and he has made everything new. And those are the words that he's describing, the final reformation of the whole universe. Old things, former things, passed away. He's made all things new. Now I'm back here, just got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, powerfully transformed. I'm trying to understand what happened to me. When I understand what's going to happen on the last day to the whole universe, I've already experienced that. In my heart, in my soul, in my spirit, in my inner man. I have already tasted the reality of that power. Indeed, as Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 5.17, old things have passed away. Behold, he has made all things new. In my heart, I already know the reality of what's going to happen to the whole universe on that final day when Jesus appears. You see, that's why the author of Hebrews would say in chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, he says, you've been part, made partakers of the Holy Ghost and you've already tasted the powers 
of the world to come. You see, the gift of the Holy Spirit is the reality of the future working its way back into your present experience. And then like a magnet, the Holy Spirit draws you to the full experience of the last day. It's called back to the future or something like that. The future has come to me in the presence of the Holy Spirit to take me back to the future. And that's how the the New Testament believers understood their experience with the Lord. And since that's the framework in which the New Testament is, is written, then we have to be very, very focused on the hope that is set before us. We are not just putting in time. We are not just sitting, twiddling our thumbs, waiting for things to happen. No, we've already tasted the future in the gift of the Spirit. And now the Spirit moves us and urges us and moves us and urges us to that day when that which is in part will become that which is full. Right now we prophesy in part, but then we won't need to prophesy because we see it all. Right now we know in part, but in that day we'll know even as we are knowing. As glorious as a miracle healing of the body, one of the gifts of the Spirit, we pray for the sick and the sick are healed. As wonderful that is, you won't need it in that day when you've got a resurrected body. Isn't that true? You won't need it in that day. Because that which is in part the gift of healing is going to be lost in the whole, the resurrection body. So we've already tasted the powers of the world to come. So if we want to understand our Bibles well, we have to go to the last day and work back to where we are to go to the last day. That's how the theology of the New Testament works. Now, the key to life where I am now, to that final day. The key ingredient, without any shadow of a doubt, is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that has brought the future to me, and it's the Holy Spirit that's going to take me to my future. We need, I need, to be daily filled with the Spirit, to live in the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, to pray in the Spirit, to worship in the Spirit, because it's the Holy Spirit that's brought the future to me to take me to the future. The Holy Spirit definitely is the key. On that final day, it's the Holy Spirit that will transform all of creation into one of glory in that day. The presence and the operation of the Spirit will be constant and universal throughout the whole universe with no hint of the presence of sin. The Holy Spirit produces life, and the Holy Spirit undergirds glory. Now is the Holy Spirit's responsibility to take you to that day. If you want to walk in the Spirit, as we said this morning, you have to walk the same direction He's walking. And I'll tell you where He's going. He's headed to the appearing of Christ. That's where He's going, and that's where He is headed Our relationship with the Holy Spirit is to prepare us for participation and that final glorious appearing of Christ at His presence. 
Right now, I am thankful for the part that we have. I'm very glad. But whenever we experience the presence of the Holy Spirit as we have today, as we worship together, there's a reason for it. And that reason is this. He's leading us somewhere. Whenever somebody is healed by the power of the Spirit, there's a purpose of it. It's a foretaste of something to come. He's leading us somewhere. Whenever there's a manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit, like a gift of prophecy, a word of wisdom, or a word of knowledge, it's for a purpose. It's a foretaste of your future. He's leading us somewhere. Whenever you have that experience, you're just not getting something. Anybody ever have that problem? You're trying to read your Bible and you're just not getting it and the light's not coming on. Anybody have that problem? But you know, you have those moments of inspiration. You don't know how to explain it. You don't know how it came to you. But someday, the mind seems to be open. Your heart seems to get open. And the Spirit of God just reveals it with such clarity. And the light bulb goes on. You say, how come I never saw that before? Anybody have those experiences? And you'll be, you begin to see clearly. And as the Holy Spirit illuminates truth to you, there's a reason for it. It's a foretaste of what the final day is going to be like. When He shapes our character and changes our nature, He's leading us somewhere. When He gives us a strong sense of God's presence, He's leading us somewhere. When He causes us to be in fellowship with other people. Ever had the experience you meet total strangers? And within five seconds, they're not total strangers anymore. It just seems as if you've known them your whole life. Anybody have that experience? And there's just an instant witness of the Spirit, and you're spilling your, your, your heart to somebody you don't even know, but it's okay because there's a witness of the Spirit. When that happens, it's because it's a foretaste of what that final day is going to be like. Have you ever had the experience where the Holy Spirit lays a burden upon you to pray about something? There's a purpose to that. He's leading you to that final day. When He lays a burden on your heart, there's a purpose to that. He's leading you somewhere. When He raises up ministries, when He raises up apostles or prophets or evangelists or pastors or teachers, or He gives people specific burdens for specific kinds of ministries, He's leading us somewhere. Whenever He inspires faith and He inspires hope in us, He's leading us somewhere. And the question is this, according to the New Testament, to what is the Holy Spirit always and unrelentingly leading us to? He's going back to the future. And He's taken you and me with Him. Hallelujah. He's taking us. He's preparing us for that day. Do we have any concept, and I'm sure we don't, of what it means that He's coming to be glorified in the saints? Can we fathom that at all? What that means? It's beyond. It's well beyond our comprehension. It takes the revelation of the Holy Spirit to catch a glimpse of what that ultimate hope is, that final verdict, that final goal of history. I tell you right now, believers get it rough in the world, but I'm telling you in one that final day, the believer is going to be vindicated before the whole world. Amen. 
There are people who have suffered, been persecuted, and people who have been martyred. It's not been fair. It's not been fair. It's not been fair. It seems that believers are trodden underfoot in a variety of countries around the world. But in that day, they will be raised and they are going to be vindicated before all eternity. It's worth it. It's worth it. I don't know if I can gather and understand all this myself, but 1 Corinthians 6 says the believer is actually going to be involved in Christ at that judgment to pass judgment on the world. Matter of fact, it even says we judge angels in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Wow. This is beyond me. Is it beyond you? Powerful, powerful things. But we have a future. Now, when God poured out the Holy Spirit, and as I shared this morning, I, I don't apologize for being Pentecostal. I believe that Pentecostal people have, have underplayed far too much the reality of the Holy Spirit. And the dynamic reality of the Holy Spirit has got to get recaptured. I'm so well convinced that you should know that about me by now if you ever heard me long enough. I'm Pentecostal, thoroughly, through and through. The gifts of the Spirit are for today. We need the gifts of power. We need the anointing. We need the presence. We have an impossible task to do. We can't do it on our own strength. It takes the power of God. And this world needs to see a move of God full stop. Amen? Are you with me on that? And when God poured out the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, the last days started. The first coming of Jesus. His birth was the initiation, was the beginning of the last days. His 33 years of minister, of life and his three and a half years of intense ministry about the kingdom and his parable of the kingdom and his teaching and his miracles and his walking on water, his multiplying of the bread and especially his casting out of demons were all signs that the kingdom of God had come. And then when he was put upon the cross and he died and he was buried and he rose from the dead, it's the message of the kingdom. And he is risen from the dead and he has ascended. And here is the truth. Jesus Christ is king. All authority in heaven and earth is, belongs to him. He's the king, like it or lump it, but you're not going to change the fact he is Lord. I don't want to acknowledge him. Tough. He's Lord anyway. I don't want to follow him. That's your problem. He's Lord anyway. This is not advice that you should take Jesus as king. He is king whether you take him or not. He is Lord. The kingdom has come. The kingdom has established. And the power and the authority of God has invaded history. And we know who is in control. Are you with me? We know who is in control. Control. It's not in my notes, but there I went anyway. He's a good God. And the fact is, on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit was poured out, that was the beginning of the end. The judgment of the world was passed. The world is passing away. It's going nowhere. Its last day is doom and gloom. The world is out. It's passing away. It doesn't have a future. Hallelujah. But for those who know the Lord, they have a future. 
and they have a hope because already we are citizens of that which cannot pass away. Amen. Amen. But the Holy Spirit is the key. The Holy Spirit initiates the last days. And now, to get us to the last day, we need the work of the Holy Spirit. In the writings of Paul the Apostle, there are four metaphors that he uses to describe the work of the Holy Spirit. Four pictures that he uses. Each one of these pictures all say the same thing in different ways, but it's the same truth. And that is this. How do I get from my first experiences in God over here? And how am I going to survive the hazardous journey through life with all its bumps and all its lumps and all its pitfalls and all the persecutions and all the sufferings and all the challenges and all the trials? How do I get from my initial experience to become bold and fully anticipating at the last day? How do I get from there to there? The answer is simple. The same Holy Spirit that took the future and brought it back to you in your heart now is the same Holy Spirit that's going to take you step by step, challenge through challenge, trial after trial, through it all, and come out victorious at the last day. The Holy Spirit is your answer. Metaphor number one, it says you have been, Paul says you have been sealed by the Spirit. If you want references, that's Ephesians 1.13, Ephesians 4.30, 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 22. It says, You have been sealed by the Spirit unto the day of redemption. To get from there to there, you need to be sealed. Now what does those seals mean? You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. It has a couple of meanings. The first meaning is that it's an identification marker. When I first came here to Northern Ireland, I was always surprised at how people painted their sheep different colors. It surprised me. I said, what's all these red marks on the back of those sheep? And I go to another field and they all have blue marks on the back of those sheep. And I said, why do they do that to their sheep here? I guess it's just so you know who, what sheep belongs to who. It's an identification marker. Well, you know what? God has given an identification marker so that people can tell whether you know him or you don't know him. To tell whether you're one of his or one of the world. You know what the identification marker is? The Holy Spirit. That is what distinguishes us from the rest of the world. That's what makes us different. We have the presence of God. We have the Holy Spirit present with us. That's God saying, you're mine. But another purpose of the seal is to protect for the journey. Like, for instance, in life, if you go on a mission trip somewhere to a third world country, you will be advised, probably don't drink the local water. You likely get sick if you do. And so you want to drink bottled water, but don't drink bottled water if the seal has been broken. Because if the seal has been broken, that means the contents inside can't be trusted to be safe. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit to ensure 
His gracious activity in your heart and in your life. As you know, I traveled a lot over the years, many different countries, and God allowed me to go to many situations around the world. And you, know, you have to be careful what you eat and what you drink and in a lot of these places. But if I had a souvenir that I wanted to bring home, because in the jungles of Africa, you're not going to find that in Canada, you're not going to find that in Northern Ireland, and just it's really unique, and, but it's usually fragile. And if I want to get it home in one piece, what do I have to do? Have you ever seen the way they throw around suitcases in airports? Anybody ever seen that? I would not put my breakables in one of those suitcases. Wouldn't do it. But you got no choice. It's too big to carry on. You've got to put it in. And so you know what you have to do? You have to get bubble wrap or your dirty socks or something, <laughs> you know, and, and, and wrap it and pat it and, and just, just pat it big time so that if you did drop it, it's so packed up and so padded and so much bubble wrap on it that it takes the jar without breaking. You and I have a treasure in earthen vessels. I don't know about you, but I can be fragile. I can be broken. I can be subject to pain. Anybody else? Life can be hard at times. And in life we are faced with trials and we are faced with challenges. And the road is full of potholes. The road is full of jars and, 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 and hits and bumps and afflictions and persecutions. All of which can break that fragile thing. But I've got good news for you. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. What that means, He's got so much bubble wrap around you. You are well packed and you are well padded. And so that when you hit that pothole in the road at 100 miles an hour, and oh, I should tell you the time I was in Zambia, where... A good highway going down from Lusaka to Victoria Falls. It was a good highway until I hit the highway from hell. <laughs> and the trouble is, nobody knew it was coming. You turned the corner going 70 miles an hour, and all of a sudden there was no highway left, but only potholes. Should I tell you how both tires went through the pothole at 70 miles an hour, and both tires blew out instantly? You only carry one spare, and you're in Africa. That's another story, and that's another miracle of how angels, uh, they must have been angels, two kids on bikes came out of the, the tall grass. They hide everywhere in Africa. And they came out, and I didn't know what to do. I had no pump, nothing. And they have a bicycle pump. And they managed to take rocks, and they beat the tire back into shape with rocks, and they put their pump with the bicycle and they're inflating the tire and they fixed it for me and sent me on my way. It's a good thing because an hour later we've been pitch dark in the middle of Africa with nowhere to go. I mean, God was good to me. But you know what? We hit potholes in life. Trials and challenges in life. And what gets us through all that? 
How do you survive the challenges of life? You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit unto the day of redemption. He's there with you. He'll lead you. He'll guide you. He'll give you the grace. He'll give you the strength. He'll give you the wisdom. He'll give you the courage. He'll inspire faith. He inspires hope. You're going to overcome. You're going to be victorious. The Spirit of God is going to bring you to the presence of God. You're going to make it because you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's His job to get me through all of that to the final day. The second metaphor that Paul uses is called the earnest of the Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. 2 Corinthians 1, 20 to 22. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 5, where the Holy Spirit is referred to as the earnest. Now that's an old English word that probably doesn't make a lot of sense to you and me. It would be clear if I used the modern English word where I use the term down payment. Anybody know what a down payment is? How many have ever tried to take loan from a bank? You want to borrow how much? And they look at you, and the next question is, and what kind of a down payment do you have? And what the bank, in asking you for a down payment, wants you to demonstrate to them that you are earnest in this purchase, that you really intend to do everything you can in your power to purchase this thing, they will help you, but they want to make sure you're earnest in giving them their money back. You follow what I'm saying? So that word earnest means a pledge. It means a deposit. It means a down payment. Now this is powerful. It's not me giving God a down payment. It is God through the gift of the Holy Spirit seeing what my future is and He has brought to me a down payment. You know what that tells me? He is earnest. He is earnest in wanting me to get the full inheritance. And if He's made the first payment, then as I go through life, He's going to continue investing in my life and continue investing in my life and continue investing and continue investing and continually investing in my life. Why? To take me to the fullness of that last day. The earnest of our inheritance. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 23, he uses a third metaphor where the Holy Spirit is referred to as the first fruits. First fruits. Well, what's first fruits? Let me tell you what it's not. It's not harvest. It's first fruits. Before you get the harvest, usually there's something that grows first. The first evidence of your harvest. And our experience of salvation, our experience of the Spirit of God, our experience of of tasting the powers of the world to come, our experience of having our heart revolutionized and changed in a powerful, wonderful way, is just the first fruits. You know, I think if any profession is a real gamble, it's got to be the farmer. Sows his seed in the springtime, Is he going to get a harvest in the autumn time? Well, depends on the weather, doesn't it? Depends upon the economy. It depends upon, is it going to be a plague of grasshoppers this year? Is it going to be a drought? Is it going to be not enough rain? (laughs) I said, not in this country. (laughs) Is it not going to be enough moisture uh, there? I mean, 
And is this going to work? Are we going to get a harvest? But when you see those first fruits coming up, what does that tell you about the seed? It's good. What does it tell you about the soil? It's not tired. It can produce. What does it tell you about the moisture? There's enough of it. What does it tell you about the heat of the sun? There's, in other words, everything that produced the first fruits is at work. And if you can see the first fruits, then you are guaranteed that everything you need for the harvest is already in operation. It's already working. It's already there. How do I know I'll get to the last days? Because I've already experiencing the first fruits. Hallelujah. I'm already being touched by the Spirit, already experiencing my eyes being opened to see the Scripture. Gifts of the Spirit already. The fourth picture that Paul uses is the word adoption. The Spirit of adoption. You find that in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 16, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. But when Paul uses the word adoption, it's not what you and I think adoption is. In our Western world, adoption means you take a child that is not biologically yours, and you take that child and you receive it into your family, even give it your name, and you treat it as if it is yours, but biologically it's not adopted. That's not what this word means. In the time of Paul and the culture, there's a difference between being a child and being a son. In English, we use the words interchangeably and loosely, but in that culture, there's a distinct difference between a child and a son. If you had a boy, he would, you would call him your child till he was about the age of 12. And at the age of 12, he went through a ceremony. In Jewish ceremony, they would call it a bar mitzvah. They would go through a ceremony, and that child would change, that boy would change his status from a child to your son. Because a child means biologically he has my life, but to call him a son means he's a chip off the old block. It means that's my nature. I have been reproduced. My heart, my life, my ideas, my thoughts have been reproduced. I have been reproduced in him. That is my son. There's a difference between the status of a child and the status of a son. And they had that ceremony about the age of 12 where they actually changed that status over. That's what they call, mean by the word, adoption. To change the status from one to another. Now, when the young boy is a child, he is subject to tutors. He has to go to school. He has to learn. He has to be trained. He has to be taught. Because the child doesn't quite know it yet. But that child has a destiny. That child has a future. The father has got glorious plans for that child of his. But for that child to enter into the reality of those plans, he's got to be developed. He's got to be matured. He's got to be trained. If he's going to inherit the father's business, he has to learn business skills. He's got to learn administration. He's got to learn all sorts of things. But the child doesn't really appreciate 
or really understand the future yet. He's too immature, too small in his experience and too small in his mind to appreciate what that future is. But it doesn't mean the father doesn't know what that future is and it doesn't mean that there has to be a training program, a teaching program, a developing program, a maturing program for him to learn to think certain ways, for his character to be developed in certain ways, for him to have vision in certain ways. And the father puts him under the power of tutors to train him for things and the child can't even appreciate what the goal is. But the day will come when maturity does come. And thinking does click in. And the vision is imparted. And after all those years of training, the father says, now is the time for him to change status from that of a child to that of a son. And now as he becomes a son, he will have privileges that he never had before, but he also will have responsibilities that he never had before. Do you and I understand what it means when it says that Jesus has been made heir of all things? Do we understand what it means that that God created the heavens and the earth for the sake of His Son and has made His Son the heir over all things. And do we understand, do we have a clue what it means when the Scripture says, and you have been made joint heirs with Him. Does a clue in what our future is? You have been made joint heirs together with him. But you know, we're like the child. We're too small-minded. We haven't got a clue what we're being prepared for. Just because we don't have a clue doesn't mean the father doesn't have a clue. And the tutor that we have been put under to train us, develop us, shape us, mold us, the tutor is the Holy Spirit. And that's why in the book of Romans, he's called the Spirit of adoption. The Spirit who's going to give us all our teaching, all our training, change our character, change our way of thinking, change our perspective, change our view of life, cause us to develop in His gifts, cause us to develop an insight, to develop in wisdom, to take on the mind of Christ, become more like Him, so that the day will come when we will change the status from the children of God to the sons of God. And anybody tell me what that day will be. When does that happen? When will that happen? Romans 8.23 will tell you when Jesus comes at the resurrection of our body the church becomes the sons of God prepared to step into the role as the full heirs along with Jesus of everything. Wow! Who is responsible for training us for that day? Who is it? The Holy Spirit. Can you see why I tend to speak about the Holy Spirit a lot? And keep emphasizing our importance of being filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit, worshiping in the Spirit. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 8, the Holy Spirit is the administrator of the New Testament. 
Or I could put it this way, he's the executor of the will. How many know that if you are mentioned in somebody's will, if the executor doesn't do his job, you're not going to get it, no matter if you're in the will or not. The executor, his responsibility is to see that the will is followed through. You know who the executor of God's eternal purpose is? You know who the administrator is? Do you know who, who is the one that has the responsibility of making it all happen? It's the Holy Spirit. He is the administrator. The ministration of the Spirit is rather glorious. And He changes us from glory to glory, taking us to that ultimate and to that final day. Hallelujah. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. You see, we have this hope. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to keep that hope alive. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to move you forward to the eschatos, to that final day, to get you there at the end. Let me just tell you one story quickly, just to finish this up. Genesis chapter 24 is a long chapter in your Bible. It's the story of Abraham, Sarah, his beloved wife of many years has passed away. Isaac is getting older. And Isaac is not married. And Abraham says it's time that Isaac will get married. And so he sends a servant who in Genesis 24 is not named. Some people think he's Eliezer, the same as a servant in Genesis 15, but we don't know for sure. But he sends a servant and he says, I'm going to give you a responsibility. Don't take any of these local girls. Then go back to where we originally came from. And I want you to go and seek out a bride for Isaac. Persuade her to marry somebody she's never met. Arrange a marriage and bring her back here to be married to Isaac. So this servant is asked to swear an oath to Abraham that he would do it. And he takes with him... If I remember right, ten camels worth of goods. Now, how many know that's a lot of jewelry? That's a lot of stuff there. A lot of clothes. I mean, ladies love their clothes and their jewelry. There's lots of it. Ten camels worth of stuff. Makes the long journey. And he says, pray. And he prays. And he says, God, are you in this? How am I supposed to find somebody in this distant land that I don't even know? And he asks God for a sign. And you know the sign how Rebecca comes along and draws water from the well. And, uh, you know, the servant uh, puts some real tests out there. If that's the one, she has to pass all of these tests. And she passed all the tests. And, and she takes him back to Uncle Laban's house. And then he tells Laban why he's there. I'm coming to get a bride for Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I know. It. We're related. And then the, 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 the servant of Abraham gets really excited. God really isn't this. And God is putting all the pieces of the puzzle together. And when the question was asked, will you go with this man? Well, remember he had ten camels worth. And when she drew water out of the well for him, he went to that backpack and he had a, a nose ring of all things and, and a couple of bracelets. 
uh, and gave it to her there on the spot. And she, wow, look what I got. Powerful. And when she said yes, then she became espoused or betrothed to Isaac. But to get from where she was in a strange and a foreign land all the way forward to get to where Isaac was, was a long journey. But the servant basically said to her, now you belong to somebody else and your father's house is not your house anymore. Isaac's house is your house. That's where you belong. But she had to make the long journey. But don't pack your bags. You don't need anything from your old life for this journey because I brought ten camels worth of goods for you know some of it was for a dowry payment to Laban of course but I have brought the provision from your future I have brought the provision from your future back to you here so that when you go to your future you're going into a future that has already provided you everything you need for the present walk you follow what I'm saying here Because in reality, it's God the Father who is seeking a bride for His Son. And He sends the Holy Spirit as a servant out to seek a bride for His Son. And He found you, and He found me. Yes, He put us through tests. Yes, we passed the test and we said, yes, we will. But now we've got this long journey. We've never seen him. All we can do is, Holy Spirit, what's he like? Tell me about him. And I can just imagine that journey, the servant of Abraham with with Rebecca. Rebecca said, what's he like? Is he handsome? Is he good looking? Does he get up early in the morning? Is he a hard worker? Describe him to me. And then there would be this description. He'd be revealing Isaac all the way, telling about her future, telling her about this husband that she's espoused to but never never seen, and just training her and filling her in in all the details and getting her, her ready for that ultimate day when she meets him face to face. The Holy Spirit has brought the provision of the future. I don't have to walk in my wisdom. He brings his own with him. I don't have to walk in my abilities. He enables me supernaturally. I don't have to walk in my strength. He has brought the provision of that to me. I don't have to walk in my own genius or lack thereof. He, he's, um, he's made wisdom and knowledge unto me. He, he's, he's brought the provision of the future back to me. And as I'm making this journey, I say, what's he like anyway? Tell me about this Jesus. Tell me who He is. Uh, Tell me all about Him. And the Holy Spirit, He keeps revealing Jesus and revealing Jesus and revealing Jesus. Jesus said He's going to talk about me. Jesus said He's going to tell you all about me. All my words He's going to bring to your remembrance. He's just going to... And and He's just prepared. And we're going to learn about this One who loved us and gave Himself for us. And we learn of His grace. We learn of His beauty. And the Holy Spirit is teaching us and training us. He sealed us. He's the earnest. He's the first fruits. He's the spirit of adoption. He's taken us forward to the future. We have a hope. And then on that day, He appears. And we see Him face 
to face. This Jesus that has given himself for us. That's our future. That's our hope. That's our home. That's where we're going for. Folks, this world, this present world, has been judged. It's passing away. If you want some good advice, withdraw all your investments in the world because it's going down. Your stocks are going down to zero. Get your investments out of this world. They're worth nothing to you. You have a better investment. Jesus. Amen. You have a better investment. Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith. And in the New Testament, the whole New Testament is oriented around this thought of the believer is in pursuit of the hope that is set before him. The hope that is set before him. The hope that is set before him. And the wonderful provision of the Holy Spirit to get us through all of life, every challenge, every difficulty, unto that final day when he comes to be glorified in the saints. So I have to use this word one more time. Maranatha.